Hey, Pilgrims, welcome back. We've got an incredible interview this week. On this week's Dose, we have John Hung, active angel investor, entrepreneur, and venture capitalist. We seriously don't know how he finds all this time to keep up with all of that, much less spend a half hour with us here on The Pill. Yeah, and not to mention, he has his own podcast, too, called Jonathan Hung VC. So we feel extra lucky to have had him on today's show. John has degrees from USC, MIT, LSE, and Wharton, and has been angel investing since 2012. He's also a partner at Unicorn Venture Partners and is starting up his own VC fund called Grudge Ventures. Every good entrepreneur has a grudge, as John said. And in the interview, you'll hear about everything from his investments in Coinbase and Lime to a missed opportunity with Robinhood and all the key lessons learned along the way. And a whole lot more in this one. It's a jam-packed dose. We're honored and excited to share it with you all today. So let's get to it. This is Venture Pill, your weekly dose of startups and venture capital. We break down recent startups in the news and interview founders and investors to help you stay informed in the evolving world of venture. All right, we welcome on John Hung to Venture Pill for this week's dose. Thanks so much for coming on the show, John. How are you doing? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time. And we certainly know you're you're playing in a lot of different arenas within the world of venture, and that'll fit nicely into what we love to talk about here on The Pill. Uh, I guess if you mm-hmm. could just give us, uh, for background purposes, how did you get into venture originally? And, and we'll certainly get into what you're working on today as we go. Yeah, absolutely. So I started being an angel investor in uh, 2012. It was the same year I took over my family's uh, contract manufacturing business. So I was running, uh, you know, all the supply chain out of China for making men's clothing. So sold to Amazon, Costco, Burn Co. Factory, a bunch of, you know, mail order catalogs. It was it was a great experience being an entrepreneur, right? But it was my dad's baby, to say the least, right? So, you know, unfortunately, he got sick and I had to help come home and take over. But at the same time, like, you know, I used to be a financial advisor and I've got like all this education and I want to do something else besides just run the family business. And so that's when I became an angel investor. I did my first check in 2012, you know, and since then I've done over probably 100 plus deals um, from pre-seed to pre-IPO. I'm an LP in at least 36 different funds, not including my own funds that I'm part of. And from there, it, it just took off, you know, and now I've made a career into it. Incredible. Incredible. That's that's quite a lot of involvement from LP to your own funds. And 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 wow, that yeah, we haven't spoken to many yeah. folks on the LP side, so we might want to dive into oh, yeah. that. But uh, tell us, I guess, a little bit more about Unicorn Venture Partners. We certainly noticed mm-hmm. uh, companies like Coinbase and Lime in the portfolio that caught our eye. Tell us a little bit more mm-hmm. about how you got into that and, and how that led to what you're working on today. Yeah. Well, you know, Unicorn was started in 2018 with uh, basically three partners. We never took outside money. It's myself, Dave Lynn, and Philip Serafin. Uh, I knew Dave from Wharton. We, we went there together to get our MBAs. And then Philip, I've known since he was 21 and I was 24. So we're like a 15 year friendship now. Um, speaking of which, like, you know, being an LP and a bunch of things, like, you know, that's how I heard about Coinbase. 
you know, I actually met uh, and, and, and my family invested in Balaji Fribanian, who was a former CTO of Coinbase for a year. <laughs> and I remember asking him, like, hey, what platform should I like buy some Bitcoin on? He said Coinbase without even like, like, you know, I should have, instead of me investing in his company and buying Bitcoin, I should have just bought Coinbase, you know, and things like that. <laughs> but we got in at the Series D, you know, at a average cost of about $32 a share, which is great because, you know, we did sell. Of course, we still hold a little, but like, hey, we hasn't come under yet, even though with everything that's going on, crypto winter. Um, Lime was an interesting investment. It came through Philips Network, uh, through the Bush family. Um, it's uh, St. Augustine Capital. Uh, Amanda Bush, uh, George P. Bush's wife, runs that. And they were just looking for other investors who would be interested in Lime. Um, you know, right now it's, it's doing well. Lime, I think, is the predominant player in that space of scooters, right? Unfortunately, Bird is not doing as great. But, you know, we'll see, you know, unfortunately we did invest at a higher valuation and we had to take a down round, you know, during COVID and all that. But I think they're doing well enough that there will be an exit soon. That's awesome. And so on top of that, we'd love to hear about a couple mm -hmm. more compelling portfolio companies that some people may not know about. Yeah, I actually think like, you know, in Unicorn's portfolio itself, because like there's a tremendous other things that we have also in Truesdale Ventures and like my own portfolio. But in Unicorn itself, there's one company that I got us involved with called Solugen. And not many people have heard of Solugen, you know, but I would be surprised. I won't be surprised one day if like five years from now, Solugen is publicly traded and they're going to like take on Chevron or Dow. Wow. wow. Like, that's how big it was. Like, a couple of years ago, you know, Solugen was like, you know, Forbes always has this article about like, hey, the next 25 unicorns, right? And Solugen was mentioned. So we got in around like a Series B um, bridge round. It was at like probably a 260 million valuation. And right now, you know, Solugen is raising about a couple hundred million at 2.1 billion. So it's wow. really hit its unicorn mark. And basically what they do is really cool. It's, it's basically using biology to treat chemistry. And what would I mean by that? It's like, it uses like, instead of using chemicals, you know, like really it's using sugars to make these chemicals instead of like, you know, harming the world. And so it's, it's really cool. The enzymes that they're creating, you know, it's like, it's make like, you know, at the time during COVID, it was like you, they were able to make like all the, you know, the hand sanitizers and whatnot without actually polluting, you know, the world but it's it has these amazing things called bioforges and it's really going to be something in the, in the near future i think it's like tomasic gic bailey gifford founders fund a lot of great companies got in they were actually a yc company mm -hmm. uh, i was in refractor capital as an lp i knew uh david lee uh, he's a family friend and I invested in him. And then I got to know Zal, who now uh, runs it. And, you know, that's probably going to put Zal on the map, you know, getting into the seed route. And fortunately for us, I'm in it there. And then we got in and kept investing. Because that's the thing about venture capital that people understand. It's not about just like doing one investment and that's it. You're done. It's like always continuously falling on on the next round. Because not necessarily you have to do your pro rata, but like at least put something in that it'll, you know, once you don't get diluted, that's the key. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, and we, we hadn't put this on the list, but I wanted to get your yeah. thoughts. Like, are there ever conflicts of interest when being an LP? For example, have you ever co-invested alongside a fund that you're a, a limited partner in? And, and how do those dynamics mm -hmm. sometimes end up? I think that's the key with everything. I think like 
people think it's like, oh, uh, it's a zero-sum game where it's like, you know, I'm slicing up the pizza and I got to get my own slice or the pie. No, it, the idea for me, I've always been like this, is being collaborative. You got to grow the pie bigger, you know, because you don't want just one VC in a round or one investor to take up the whole like allocation. That makes no sense because you need everybody to help make this company as big as possible. And it's not just the money because money is money. I mean, you need the, the network, the connections, the introductions, you know, abilities to find uh, new streams of revenue. Just really like, because when you think about it, like there's not just one board member, you know, it's just the CEO being his own board member. There's numerous people on a board. So you just need that help. That's what I think is most important. And also no VC is willing to write the check to do everything. Like, you know, yeah. they have asset allocation, they have like diversification, the modeling that they do. Like my biggest check, you know, that we've written out of Truesdale, you know, has been 20 million, you know, which is great. That's a huge number, but you know, sometimes a round is not just 20 million, right? And you, you're raising a, a $200 million round. That's what Sologen did, right? Mm -hmm. And we didn't write the entire 200 million. We did a good part, you know, a good, a good chunk of it, you know, maybe 10, but at the same time, like really it's about having other great investors around the table to make sure that you're doing things accurately and correctly and getting other people's opinions. So I would say it's not a conflict. I see like some of the best deals have a lot of smart money on, on the cap table. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, tell us a little bit more about uh, Grudge Ventures, your your new venture mm -hmm. firm that you're, you're raising uh, right now. I guess give us yeah. the update there from what you can tell us. So I think like, finally, I'm ready to take outside money, you know, but not just any money, because not all money is good money. Like I want to have good LPs to work with and not only just make the money, but have fun with, right? There's a lot of people who say like, you don't want to deal with a-holes, right? And you really don't, you really don't. Like it, it's so important to me to find really great partners and to grow. Like I saw that with my father's business, right? In contract manufacturing, like you find the right partnerships, you're going to have tremendous success. It's not about just getting one order or one sale and doing everything like, you know, stabbing everyone in the back to get there. Like that's just horrible. That's not how business is done. And for me, I think every great entrepreneur has a grudge, you know, a chip on their shoulder. If I could, I would call it petty ventures or spite ventures, but you know, that's a little too, <laughs> too, too hardcore, right? Like I think, you know, whether you're an investor, an entrepreneur, a founder, etc. I think we all are motivated in our ways and we have to ask ourselves in, at least in startup, well, what is your startup grudge, right? Because most of the time, like, you know, I, I mentor people at MIT. That's one of my masters is uh, from there. And I could just ask like, you know, you're, you're a CS student, you know, you could get a job L5 at, at Google, you know, maybe get like, you know, with, ta with all your, all your stock options and everything, like a million dollar package. Are you willing to risk? Why, why, why are you willing to do a startup? and take on all this risk. Like there has to be something that motivates you because this is not a nine to five job. You know, you can't just walk away. This is like 24 seven and it's a lot more stress, but it's a lot of risk, but with a lot of reward at the end. And so with that said, what is your grudge, John? <laughs> um, you know, honestly, like people ask that and I think like my grudge now is, uh, I think I'm doing the startup uh, well, I'm doing, I have two groups. One, I'm actually working on a startup, you know, and I think like, it's something where like, I like to prove to people that I can, you know, go from zero to one. That's amazing to me. And I think I found the right team, the right idea right now, like kitchen data systems that I'm working on. And when it comes to being a VC, the grudge is, is that, you know, I think I can do it. 
You know, like I have, like, I've seen other people and how they make their decisions. And it's just funny to me. Like we all try to act like we know something more than others. I know. And sometimes it's just pure luck, but really it's about being in the right, you know, fishing lanes or fishing pools, you know, and working with other great investors. Because I think most of the time people think like, oh my God, you got to do all this due diligence. Like, I think we've really seen that most VCs don't do due diligence. You know, with the whole like Twitter thing happening and like, you know, all the text messages coming out, you just realize like, well, you're just like, oh, I'll do the deal. Like they didn't do any diligence, right? You see that. I'm not going to name names, but you know, you go, go Google search that and see like how, what diligence really is. It's really about finding really good people you want to work with. And my grudge for Grudge VC is let's, let's find the greatest entrepreneurs out there to do it. And I think that's more fun for me. You know, I tell people I'm your high school counselor. I'm just trying to get to your series A and move on after that. You know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not good at growth. You know, like it takes a certain team to go from zero to a hundred thousand revenue. It's a totally different team when you're doing a billion in revenue. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I love the premise there and the analogy with the high school counselor. Uh, you mentioned you're working on a startup. Please educate us a little bit mm -hmm. more on what's going on there. Yeah, it's it's really because I invest in this guy like a couple of times, uh, Mike Jacobs. You know, he was the founder of Ordermark, Nextbyte, and we we partnered up on something uh, which is like you know food tech. You know, like I, I you know who doesn't love food? And there was ways of getting involved there where it's just like kitchen data systems came about because you know we failed at something else. Not necessarily failed, but we realized oh we could do something better. We had we started with a company called Team Kitchens. And it was the idea of like, and we're still doing this right now. We're selling Dodger dogs outside of Dodger Stadium. Right now, it's like, I don't know when this is going out, but right now, today's game two, you know, yeah. for the Dodgers <laughs> against the Padres. And like, you, if you can't get to the stadium, you could go on, you know, on Uber Eats or Postmates in, in LA and find Dodgers home plates and order a Dodger dogs to your house. <laughs> and, it, you know, it was an interesting concept. It was very capital intensive. But, you know, what we realized is that like, hey, there's all this unused kitchen space in small, medium enterprise businesses. Like, just like from my background as being, you know, working in contract manufacturing, a factory is only as good as the number of orders they have. So you're already paying your workers, you already have the lights going on, you have the facility, you're paying rent. No one is at 100% capacity in production. It's just impossible. So why can't we find local mom and pop restaurants to do other people's food? And instead of like, you know, spending all this money, I mean, of course there's something like Cloud Kitchens, and I'm sure you've heard of Ghost Kitchens, but the idea here is like, we're here, not, we're not here to ghost you. We're saying, listen, we're making Ric Flair's wings at this restaurant, at this location, you know, and you can go pick it up. Like most of those ghost kitchens, you can't. Like a Mr. Beast Burger, you can't go and pick that up. I mean, he has like an actual uh, restaurant now in the New Jersey mall, but that's just one. All the others are coming from like a trailer or from like a Buco <laughs> de Beppo. Like it, it, it's not authentic. It's not really coming from his own like, you know, restaurant. And like we tell people, this is the way of saving money too, because, you know, it's not just about top line revenue. You have to look at bottom line revenue being, you know, a COO in the past and looking at operations. It's all about cost savings, right? Like you're like, the joke is like, no one's going to love grandma's lasagna. People like corporate lasagna because it's cheaper. <laughs> like you're buying Olive Garden. Why do you keep going back to Olive Garden? Because it's great. It's, it's, it's consistent quality at a reasonable price for a family of four. You know, and they only can do that because they buy in bulk. You know, the Darda Group has a thousand Olive Garden locations and they could buy a tremendous amount of olive oil, tomatoes, pasta, breadsticks. How can they give unlimited breadsticks? Your local <laughs> Italian restaurant can't give that out, right? But we're trying to level the playing field now with what we're doing with our restaurant tech. Love it.
So how do how do you possibly balance all your time? It seems like you've got, you know, your your hands in a lot of different places. What what takes up most of your time these days? Um, it's it's an interesting mix of you know running the startup. Uh, helping raise money there, but also looking for great companies. And I think it all, it's not like, oh, I'm being, it's not, it's not like I'm like Deion Sanders playing football, you know, during the night and baseball during the day, right? It's like, it's still somewhat similar, you know? Yeah, there's sports, but like what I do, it's great. Like I take off my founder's hat and I take on my investor hat. And actually I think being an entrepreneur makes me an even better investor because like you could call bullshit. You could call be like, no, I know exactly what's going on the market. This is what it is. And like, I'm dealing with like employees who suck. You know, or <laughs> working, and I'm not naming names, you know, and some have left, some go, you know, it's, it's part of the business world, right? And at the same time, it's like, you know, as a angel or venture capitalist, like, listen, like, this is what I should actually be focusing on. You know, like, sometimes the numbers don't lie, but you have to actually go in and see what those numbers actually represent and what the truth actually is for a business. And I know that because of how I'm running a business and what I need to do. You know, I know what, like, bank account we should be using. You know, or what, like, you know, service providers should be using, what kind of marketing we should be using, you know, all this stuff. And it's great to be able in both worlds. That's awesome. So transitioning forward a little bit here, mm -hmm. you mentioned in this interview and also just looking into your profile, I can tell that mentorship is a big thing for you. Um, yep. And with that being said, I'm curious to hear who's the best mentor you've ever had and also what you think makes somebody a, a good mentor. I think, uh, it's just giving someone your time. You know, I, I do this a lot and it's not something that's like, uh, that I think I need to get like money out of, right? Or I need to get like, you know, something out of it. Like I need to match something. You give me this, I give you that. It's like, it's the idea of being a really good giver, you know, and not expecting anything. Like sometimes like, you know, the funniest thing, like I did this pot, one of these podcasts once and like that person, they just recently invested into my startup. I didn't expect that, but I was just telling them like what we're doing and it resonated with people. And the only way to get help is by being vocal and active and, and wanting to give, you, you know, mentorship out. I think some of the best mentors that I've had are really, well, you know, it's cliche to say this, but, you know, I would say my dad, you know, he was a tough one, you know, because like he was the type of mentor was like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, he, he doesn't hold back, right? Especially because he's your dad. And you see him in a different light being your dad and then as a businessman, you know, because it's like a totally different world of, of how he runs business, how people respect him, how, people, how he sees things and how he built an amazing company, you know, came to this country with nothing, $500 to his name and was able to become a multimillionaire. And that's the American dream. And so from that, like, you know, he taught me a lot about like, be careful, like who you work with, watch, watch, always think about the blind side. Because like I said, like most people who work nine to five, don't have to worry about other things. Like, you know, you have to really worry about like, what can screw up your business today? Like there's a great book by uh, Andy Grove, former CEO of Intel called Only the Paranoid Survive, right? And so like, I think great mentorship is like hearing people, asking people and reaching out. Like I do this, I mean, I'll tell the people this, I don't mind. Like I, I don't need a lot of money too to great, great causes. And I'm not looking for like, Ooh, a piece of art or like a great vacation. I'm talking like, I like to donate to people just like when people donate to have lunch with Warren Buffett. I do that all the time. He's like, I'm not Warren Buffett. I'm not there yet, but it's just <laughs> like, you know, I've met like uh, Tito, Tito's vodka, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, just most recently met Kevin Plank of Under Armour. It's just like hearing their stories of how they did it. And like, really like hearing what their grudges are. 
you know, what they're, what they did to survive and what they did to be successful. Cause I think a lot of us see the end result, but not like all the steps that got there, all the obstacles that got in the way. Incredible. Yeah. And I think that's unique. You know, we talk a lot about networking and the importance of that and mentorship mm -hmm. um, within the venture scene. And, and certainly a big goal of our show here on Venture Pill is to help our listeners, the pilgrims, uh, get into venture. Mm -hmm. uh, folks that, you know, find startups exciting. Uh, venture capital seems cool, but, you know, how, how the heck do you start? How do you break in? And so we always like to get our guests take on and advice for them. Um, and you've hit yeah. on a couple of things, but if you had to give advice to maybe some of our younger listeners, students coming out of school or something like that, mm -hmm. how to break into venture either on the startup side or the investing side, um, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how I did it. You know, in 2012, I didn't know anybody in venture. And so I asked a friend of mine and he said like, oh, I know the president of the Lava Association, Los Angeles Venture Association. And that was local. I was like, what's Silicon Beach, right? So I went to go meet the guy, great guy, Matt. And he introduced me to a bunch of people, you know, and the first guy he introduced me was a friend of mine now. This day I went to his wedding, Buck Jordan. And Buck talked about what he was working on. And I wrote a check right there, you know, and said like, let's do it, you know, and uh, my first angel check. And we've invested in a lot of great things. Hopefully, I think our biggest investment might be Miso Robotics, you know, with Flippy and Chippy and Sippy and all the things that they're working on there, which <laughs> is amazing. But really, it's like, if what I've seen too, it's like, look, there's a lot of great angel groups out there. There's a lot of great alumni, you know, especially at the schools you go to, like, talk to them. Talk to me about entrepreneurship, you know, people who have started businesses. Like, you know, I think a lot of that helps you know, getting, going to school and getting that help, you know, and you don't even have to graduate. It's just getting that, those mentors and getting them like hitting them up. Like I remember like when I was at Wharton, I mean, I have a lot of degrees, right? So when I was born, we were doing a, a project on, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, it was, sorry, I was about to mention the competitor, but it was, uh, it was blue, uh, blue bottle, right? And we were trying to learn about blue bottle and we just hit up the network and we saw there was a VP that works there. We just hit him up and he let us go toward the facility in Oakland. In the headquarters and that's all it was it's just like you know people give back you know you're, you're, you 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 join a group right that's why there was all those like memberships that you do or you know clubs etc i think that helps and just ask you just keep asking and then one intro leads to the next to the next to the next and that's how i built my network you know because the moment you don't want to do it like it was funny too covid it got me really excited in a sense where I didn't have to go to certain like real in real life events, but I met so many people like this online, you know, LinkedIn, great resource. You know, I tell people like, make sure yours is updated. Make sure it's like, you know, you get people to contact you, you know, open up the channels. Right. I mean, like I've seen guys be like, Oh, don't add me. If you don't get a warm intro, I was like, geez. Yeah. That sounds lovely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's what there's on their LinkedIn. I'm just like, okay, but Hey, I get what they're doing. It's like, it's, it's reaching out. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you know, you have to be persistent. You know, if here's the most important advice that one of my friends told me, which is so interesting. Cause it was like, it was just like him getting a table at a restaurant. You know, it's like, if you never ask, it's always no. Yeah. Like even in sales, it's always no, you have to get to that. Yes. So why not take a chance? Why not go and ask somebody? Like, would you mind helping me this? Or can I hear you out? You know, sometimes you can embarrass yourself sometimes, but you got to risk it. You know, there has to be some risk to get that reward. It doesn't just, oh, I go to school and I, I get this. You know, there's a bunch of people I know who went to Ivy League schools who keep wondering why they didn't get anything out of it. Like that degree means nothing. It just meant you were able to get a degree. 
Totally. That's, that's awesome. You definitely, you gotta be willing to put yourself out there and appreciate all the valuable advice there. Um, as a prominent angel investor, I'd love to hear what are some of the traits, characteristics, and qualities that you're looking for in founders and founding teams? Um, honestly, it's all about the team and all about the founder when, I, when, when it's really early, a pre-seed or seed round. And honestly, it's like how they deal with adversity. I mean, because it's not going to be fun. It's not, it's not like you're going to deal with some of the stupidest things like getting your gusto working you know, or switching from rippling to gusto. And like, those are things you just have to do to be somewhat like detail oriented and just like showing up. Like, like I said, like college is great, but college is like, I don't care what your GPA is. I care about like, you're able to go from A to Z and you were able to do this in a certain amount of time. And like, that's all you're proving to me because you, you're not a better investor by going to college. You're not a better entrepreneur, but you get to meet a lot of great people. And I think I heard this once, which is so interesting. It's like, and even my entrepreneur is like hitting me up right now during this call and I'll fix them back. <laughs> but like, I think a really great CEO or founder, they have to be almost like a cult leader, you know? And it's weird to say that, but it's like, I'm hoping not to ask anybody to drink the Kool-Aid and or jump off <laughs> or anything, but it's just like, you have to get people to believe in your vision because really in the beginning, you have nothing. You're at zero. You're trying to get to one. And so can you get people to you know, take the risk with you, like whether it's investors or, you know, your first five employees like to take that chance because it is a chance. It is a risk, but you show that vision that you have that ability to get people to follow you, you know, into your cult of whatever you're working on. Yeah. And, and real quick, what, what is the difference if, if any, between how you evaluate uh, a startup, a, pen, a potential investment, um, for being an angel investment or to go in one of your funds? Yeah, it's a totally different process, right? Because I don't have to be accountable to anybody else except myself. It's my money. But then like, you know, you guys know what OPM is? Oh uh, no. Other people's and money, <laughs> other people's money, right? It's like, I remember being a trader and it's just like, oh my God, if I'm buying Apple shares, I gotta look at the share price. Oh, you wanna buy Apple? Sure, bought. You know, like when it's not your money, it's a totally different thing, right? But I tell people, if you're going to be my LP, I'm going to treat it like it's my money. And it's really important. But I have to say, like, there is, like, a portfolio that you're creating. Like, you know, it's like 40% of my portfolio is going to be pre-seed seed. 50% is going to be Series A. 10% is opportunistic. And, like, I have certain check sizes that I have to write and certain themes that I have to meet to get in those buckets. And that's where I think by doing that portfolio, I can get you a good return. Right. But if I'm an angel investor and it's like, oh, well, we need money to build a robot that flips hamburgers. <laughs> and like, we don't have a prototype. We just need money. And I, I wrote a 25K check for that, you know, and for right or wrong. And I know a lot of venture funds would not have done that in the <laughs> beginning, you know, but I did. And I got, you know, I, I of course, have had some losses, no question. But that was a lucky, you know, break for me. And I wrote that check. You know, that was different. I didn't have anybody accountable except me. Like, cause you have to like at least prove out your thesis of what you're doing run, running a VC. And it, it's important. I, I tell people like your first fund is not the hardest, you know, to raise money off. It's your second because mm -hmm. now you actually have a track record and this is like your model is proven right or wrong. Yeah. And you mentioned the, you know, one that you got lucky on, you've had a, several successful 
outcomes mm-hmm. for portfolio companies. What about any companies that you were excited about initially that didn't pan out? And, oh. and what did you learn from that? Um, it was just, I think it was really early in my investing career. And like, I think I invested in the idea and not really thinking more closely about the team. You know, it was a YC company. It was called Dose Doctor. And, um, you know, silly me back then, I was like, oh, this is a company that's like basically measuring like every day. If you're a diabetic, you do your blood sugar, but your doctor has no idea what your blood sugar is. Now it's different. Now there's things where you put on your arm or, you know, under, uh, you know, where it's like it's continuous glucose monitoring. But it wasn't there back in like 2012, 2013. So. You know, still to be trying to save the world, but like it was the wrong team, you know, and it didn't work out. And the team kind of blew up and it was a great idea. I'm sure they could have pivoted. They could have done a lot of things, but I invested in the idea versus like understanding the team. And, you know, and at that time, I also like, I always like to share the story. Like I invested in that instead of another company where you pretend to buy and sell stock and uh, get like a a fantasy score every week. And it was like a $20 million valuation. It was almost the same. Dose Doctor and, and this other company was almost the same valuation. But I was just thought like, oh, what sounds like a better idea? Like, who's going to play this shitty game, I thought. And I'm like, <laughs> I think they call it Robin Hood. <laughs> so, you know, I, so we've all had our misses. You know, I turned out Robin Hood, you know, really early. You know, a $20 million valuation. But, you know, should have looked in the team more. Should have downloaded the app. Should have played more instead of just hearing the idea. So that was my fault. That was me not being good. But I was just starting out. That was my first year as an angel investor. But now I'm better and now I have a good network and I think I can ask people like literally I have I got an email today cold cold email and I'm like oh this is interesting I'm have a call with him tomorrow and I sent sent it to my team like what do you guys think am I crazy to think this is something you know the guy says he has 150k left he's at a three million dollar valuation and it's kind of like a betting game not a betting game it's actually a betting like platform where it's just like hey guys let me bet you like on uh, who wins the uh, coin toss this Sunday you know at a football game <laughs> and then you just set it and you just do the bet it's like you know prop betting that's it and that's mm-hmm. only getting more and more right I mean obviously there's, there's DraftKings and you know FanDuel but this is just like hey who's gonna win the election or like you know just like you know random like we make a bet on something and then you know it, it's, you just lock it in it's an interesting concept let's see Um, I'd love to hear, John, and this is pretty random, but love to hear your take on Web3 and crypto and its future in the economy and specifically in venture capital. Yeah, no, I, I think about this all the time. And I actually ask that question on, like, on my podcast, you know, like, what, what's your relationship? Because like Web3 to me isn't like getting a board ape, you know, or getting like some sort of NFT. Like I've invested, of course, in Coinbase, but we're, I, in our portfolio for for Grudge Ventures and for Truesdale, it's a uh, consensus, which is MetaMask, right? I think that's gonna be only grow. There's only about 30 million users last year and it's continuously growing. But for me, Web3 is this relationship of you know the brand and the customer. I think Web 2.0 was just like me, right? Now it's Web3 is about we and this sense of community, whether you're creating a DeFi or you know all these like coins or whatever, that, that's, that's whatever. It, it's just it's just the idea, you know, the type of company you're working on. Web three to me is really just like how do you engage with your fan base, with your you know, if you're a creator, with your fans, or if you're a brand with your fans, with your you know your buyers. Like it's not going to be anymore. We're like, hey, I buy a Facebook ad or Google ad, and I'm going to get like sales. I don't think that's it anymore. I think it has to be about community driven, and we're going to find really great companies who are Web three based or, you know, have that Web3 mentality of getting customers, but B2B 
being part of the community versus just like, oh, I'm flipping through Instagram and looking at an ad. Yeah, that's a great breakdown. And, and we've certainly seen like quite an evolution over the last year or so. Um, do, you, do you figure that these these days it's almost an even bigger opportunity to invest in companies within the Web3 space? Or are you a little bit more concerned and and I guess slowing down a bit as opposed to maybe a year ago? No, I think, you know, you have to find really great companies, especially when times are bad. I think this is the best time to find really great companies. I think before, last couple of years, there's too much money out there. And like, you know, you got funded really easily and you didn't have to have a business model. You didn't have, have anything proven out. I think really now you're going to find who's a really good entrepreneur and you're going to see people not fight and just give money without less data. You know, you're going to have to have like more data points to look at and you have to have the team be more strict on growth, not just growth, but also on like their financial metrics of how they are earning money. I mean, it, it's, it's, I love being a seed stage investor, right? Because it's really about getting the ideation there, going from zero to one. It, I think it's it's a little bit harder being like a late stage investor because it really is like throwing a bunch of more money and accelerating the growth. And, and and you'll find out like if you can or can't at that stage, right? At this point, like you're still, you could do pivots, you could do so many things. And like, you know, when you have money, yeah, of course. But I think like we have huge valuations before, where someone, a company's trying to raise a series B now, it's not gonna be as easy because their metrics aren't there. There's not enough revenue to justify giving them money now in the current like recession that we're heading to. Well, that's great. I, I think, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time with you today. We appreciate all your wisdom and the stories of, of what you're involved with in venture. I think our listeners yeah. are gonna find this super interesting and helpful. Uh, last yeah. thing would be just what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you, follow you on social media and things like that? Yeah, no, definitely. I have a website, jonathanhung.com. You know, I do a lot of blogging on there. So hopefully there's interesting topics everyone wants to look at. Um, got a YouTube channel with my podcast, of course. It's Jonathan Hung VC. Just search on that for YouTube and find me on LinkedIn. You know, I think that's the best way. Like, take a chance, reach out. You know, I can't get to everybody, but, you know, there, there are ways that, I mean, see who we're connected with, see if I can make an intro, see, you know, we'll look at it. Like, I'll tell you this, like, I, I look at everything because you just never know. You just never know. You have to look at everything because it doesn't just come to you. I mean, whether I'm out there hunting for new great companies or I'm on this podcast with you guys and talking, it's all about networking and finding really great companies because you just can't do it by yourself. Love it. Well, thanks so much, John. We really appreciate it. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Hopefully we will, you, you're a recurring guest now on, on the show. So we really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, we'll talk about that next rush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. See you next time. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibes a little okey, okey, dokey. That's alright, but wait, I don't know how to do things. Different.